Hey guys, this is Ryan Reed. And this is Rob. You're watching Frontier. So glad to have you guys listening to our uh, next installment of Frontier Podcast. Today we've got a very special guest with us. He, um, he is a complete follow-up to what we did last week, talking about drum gypsy and how that can be like a wonderful term or a bad term at the same time. Uh, he has made front ensemble and marching arts his career, which is just awesome and just like you know total kudos to this dude joining us today is andy filipiak how are you man great thanks for having me on yeah so so glad we could uh link up and make this happen especially at such weird times here uh how's the weather in texas right now it's hot this texas texas heat man we're up in the 90s every day yikes is that like a humid 90s or like yeah, I'm down. I'm down in Houston, so there's definitely some humidity to to boot with the 95 degree weather. Oh my gosh, no good. What uh, are you? So you're down in Texas. You are currently doing the virtual drum corps, which is totally new this year to make up for the lack of actual drum corps. Um, so that's sweet. Can how did you get involved in that? Like, what? How did that fall into your lap? Like, what's going on with that? Sure. Um. One of my really good working partners, um, Brian Harmson, somebody I write with at both Monarch Independent and um, this was going to be our first summer working together at the Mandarin's Drum and Bugle Corps. He does electronic design and then I write for the acoustic front ensemble. Um, he's the one who approached me about uh, arranging for the virtual drum and bugle corps. Um, Jake Lyons is actually the the, the mastermind behind the whole project, um, who's another front ensemble guy. I think he marched it uh, MCM and Bluecoats. So he came up with the idea to kind of band together everybody who normally would do drum corps, but not just the people who would march, the people who uh, maybe want to march someday or used to march or are just fans of it and create this project as a way to kind of bring everybody together, um, make it really affordable, really accessible, no age restrictions or anything like that. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. Um, so yeah, Brian called me and, and asked me to do it and I couldn't say no, you know, if, if the opportunity to, to do something like that, that inclusive across our entire community was, I had to jump at it. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that are different arranging for like the virtual drum corps versus arranging for like an actual group that you would see that has a limitation on, you know, membership numbers and that kind of stuff? Sure, absolutely. Um, the, the first thing that was crazy was just how many parts I needed to write. So because we were making it as inclusive as possible, um, I ended up writing for most instruments, three levels of the part. So for the marimba part example, I wrote a world-class part, an open-class part, and an A-class part. And then because the marimba comes in various sizes, I wrote the world-class part to be playable on both a five octave and a 4.3 octave. Um, so I had to write four marimba parts and then the same thing for vibes and xylo um, and drum set and then uh, bass guitar and electric guitar. Another tricky thing was the uh, auxiliary percussion instruments. Um, normally you have a rack player in your tailor making it to sounds that you know you have in your arsenal. Um, but for auxiliary percussion, I wasn't sure what instruments people were going to have access to. So I kind of wrote... Uh, four different auxiliary percussion parts with just various sounds that I desired in each of the phrases and sent all of the parts to the, to the um, rack and auxiliary auditionees. 
So in total, it ended up being 22 individual parts for this project instead of your traditional, you know, 13, if you're going to do that one for each player. Wow. So that, that was probably the, the biggest difference was just arranging three different levels for the entire show. Um, and then the other, the other thing that was strange was for the keyboard parts, for example, normally when the horn line's going and the drum line's going, we walk over to the high end of our instrument and play a suspended cymbal roll or a big crash, but not very many people have access to that. Um, so it was cool to kind of be creative, figuring out ways to keep the keyboard percussion involvement during some of those big ensemble hits. So it definitely forced me to be a little bit more creative and think outside the box in some of those phrases to keep everybody involved when normally they wouldn't be playing those instruments. What kind of challenges did you feel like you ran into as you're, you know, layering A-class parts and world open-class parts and world-class parts over top of each other? Did you find like that there was some clash between them or was it, was it fairly simple to figure all that out? Um, the difference between the open class part and the world class part was uh, pretty easy to, to figure out the, the open class part is kind of just a skeleton in areas and then in other areas it's verbatim what the world class part is playing. Um, if it's a little bit more straight ahead of a phrase. The A class part was a little bit trickier. I opted for keeping the parts all too mallet oriented. Um, mm. In, in case there were there was anybody who wanted to audition that is unfamiliar with holding four mallets, um, so that that definitely took some some more creativity trying to figure out how to keep them involved in phrases and um, maybe play like if uh, the world class people are playing a scale in sixteenth notes and I want to that same scalar pattern but in eighth notes then you know you start ending up with minor seconds or or strange intervals laying over top of each other. Um, so that took a little bit of, of working to make sure that I didn't end up with too much dissonance in any of those faster passages. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's crazy, crazy level of thought that you had to put into all of that. What, um, so where is the virtual drum core? Like, where's that process happening? What's going on with that process right now? Sure. Um, we took the month of May to design the entire show. So that's where we wrote everything. It was finished by June 1st, which was also the deadline for video auditions. Um, so all of those got sent in and uh, accumulated into a Google sheet. And then um, on June 2nd, I went through and reviewed 70 marimba videos and 40 vibraphone videos and, and placed everybody on their, on their uh, part selection. And then I wanna say on June 3rd, we sent all the music out. So we're currently in the learning process um, we have some Facebook groups where there are Zoom meetings where, you know, like all the world-class marimbas will get together and go over stickings and dynamics and make sure they're all on the same page. Or, um, you know, the vibraphones will have a Zoom sectional and make sure that they're all they're all good to go. And so right now we're just in the in the learning phase. And um, I think a portal will open up in the middle of June for people to start submitting their recordings for the performance. And then throughout July, our plan is to. The, the deadline will be the end of the month for video submissions to, to be a part of the program. And then throughout July and the very beginning of August, we'll be putting all of the thousands of videos and audio files together for the performance and we'll stream it live the night that DCI finals was supposed to happen. Well, that's awfully cool. Like, you know, at least there's some sort of a performance that's going to happen this year. Um, yeah, I, that's fantastic. Now, okay, so they submit their video. What happens if it's bad? 
do you guys, are you like sending it back? Are you going to give them critique? Is it like you get multiple shots in it? Do you just throw them out? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, that's not uh, 100% part of my wheelhouse. I'm not dealing with uh, the creating of the, of the presentation, like the video and the audio file. Um, so I, I think hopefully the, the, the strategy of writing those different level parts is to give it, give everybody something that they can be successful at. Um, so I think that we probably won't run into that too frequently. It, the, none of the parts should be too far over anybody's head. And they all have access to all of the parts. Um, so if, for instance, somebody gets put on the world-class part because they sent in a really great audition video, but then they don't have enough time to prepare the world-class part for the submission, they can submit an open-class part instead, something that they feel like they can work up and be proficient at a little bit quicker. So it's just a Dropbox folder that has all the parts, the PDF parts in it. And so I, I can't imagine that we'll get too many videos with terrible quality. That's cool. what, what was the turnout like for the size of the group? Um, as far as people who were donating and said that they wanted to be a part of it, we were able to raise close to $50,000 and over 2,000 people um, like sponsored the program, the, the product. And we ended up with, I think, between 14 and 1,500 audition videos submitted. So there should be, you know, over a thousand people in this video. And, you know, we've got color guard, brass, battery percussion, and front ensemble. So it'll be a, it'll be a full drum corps show, which is pretty exciting. That's awesome. At least we get some sort of drum corps in, in 2020. And, and that was the whole, the whole point of doing the product is to give something to everybody who's missing it. You know, like I'm sure the three of us are all jonesing to be out in the sun working every day on right hand and left hand checks. And so to know that this, this project is going to come to fruition in early August is, is really exciting and something that kind of help keep me going through the rest of the summer. That's yeah, cool. it's got to, it's got to help you stay motivated too. Cause otherwise, like I know I, I just have the summer off right now. And there yeah. are some days, so there are some days when it's like great and I get a ton of work done and there's other days where it's like, I miss band. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we're all feeling that. So is this something that you see possibly happening in the future past 2020? I think that there's a potential for it for sure. Um, we were able to get enough turnout and enough um, excitement from the community that I think that it's totally feasible for us to do continuations of projects like these, whether or not it'll always be a drum corps show like this. Maybe we do a, a marching band show. Maybe we do an indoor drum line show, but keep the format the same where um, we're, we're doing it completely remote. Any ages can do it. You can be from wherever on planet earth, as long as you have access to a, some type of way to record yourself playing it and are dedicated, you can do it. So I, I, I definitely think that that's something that we'll, we'll talk about um, and see if we can make happen. That's awesome. So part of, part of why uh, we were excited to have you on, Andy, was uh, last week we talked about, you know, kind of the living that Rob and I have made as, you know, we call them drum gypsies, but as full-time, full you know, percussion instructors, front ensemble people, that kind of stuff. And, and I know that you've tran you transitioned, you know, for those that don't know, Andy and I marched 
glass band, the Glassman, way, way, way back in the day. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about like your come up through drum corps, indoor band to kind of where you're at right now and what you're doing? Sure. Um, for me, I started marching indoor in 2004. I was in eighth grade and my private lesson teacher, uh, Brian Choppy Massimo, was running the pit at this indoor drum line called Leap. And they were based out of Lindenhurst, Illinois. And so uh, he asked me if I wanted to play synthesizer. And this was in like December. So they had already kind of started and I guess the synthesizer player had quit. And he was like, you'd be great for it. So I talked to my mom, and my dad, and they were like, all right, if you, you know, if you really want to do this, you can do it. And that Saturday, I went to my first 12 hour rehearsal and, you know, played synth for a weekend. And, you know, I had no clue what I was doing. I was using my two index fingers to play most of the show. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my first experience with indoor. And we ended up going to uh, WGI World Championships. It was in San Diego that year. Um, so we went out to San Diego and competed and were fortunate enough to win a world championship in the independent A class that year. Um, so from that moment on, I was, I was hooked. I you know, I got to see Music City Mystique play seven live in, in San Diego that year. So I, I was like, I've got to do this. It's so cool. I love it. Everything here is awesome. Um, and then, you know, next year I'm in ninth grade. So I'm doing marching band in high school and I was, uh, I actually played in the drum line all throughout high school. I played snare drum and I kept doing leap through the winters as well. And eventually started playing snare drum at leap. And at first that's what I thought that I wanted to do. And I think it was a 2006. I, I found out what drum corps was and went to world championships up in Madison that year and got to see all the shows. And so I went to another show in 2007 and got to at Kalamazoo, Michigan. And that's where I got to see uh, the Glassman for the first time. And they had this really cool like hand drum section where everybody was on cajones and, and playing like authentic world instruments kind of grooving up front. And I was like, that looks like way more fun than playing snare drum. And so that next year in 2008 is when I auditioned for Glassman for the front ensemble, um, got a contract on Marimba and marched uh, with you and or Rob Ferguson. And that's where I got kind of hooked in with Matrix as well. Um, so I moved out to Ohio and started doing indoor at Matrix and summers at the Glassman. And growing up in like Northern Illinois in the Chicago land area, um, once I found out what drum corps was, the Cavaliers were always the, the, the coolest thing when I was in high school. So um, in 2010, I auditioned and got a spot playing Marimba at the Cavaliers and spent 2010 and 2011 um, with them on Marimba. After, after aging out, I, I got really lucky. The, the pit arranger for the Cavaliers in 2011, Alan Miller, recommended me to uh, fill in for the Boston Crusaders teaching in 2012. And that was kind of like my, my first big teaching gig. You know, I had done some stuff with high schools here and there, just kind of helping out while I was marching in Ohio. Um, but to, to teach a, a big boy drum corps like that, you know, fresh out of aging out was, was quite lucky. And so I'm really thankful for that opportunity. Um, and that's where I met the, the caption head at the time, Ellis Hampton. And me and, me and him got along really well. We worked together there for five years. Um, and then 
I think it was in 2013. So I had done one full summer with the, with the Boston Crusaders. And then in 2013, um, he asked me what I was doing during this, you know, like during the school year. And I told him, you know, I'd probably just go back to Ohio and keep teaching high schools and working at Guitar Center and, you know, doing whatever. And he was like, well, why don't you, why don't you move down to Texas? He was a, a, a percussion director in Denton, Texas. And he was like, why don't you come down here and, you know, teach some lessons. You can, you can teach lessons during the day. And that to me was like a, a game changer, like to be able to go into a school and pull a kid out during their band class and, and create a full schedule of private lessons of, you know, 40 kids during each week. And I was like, you mean I won't have to stand behind a counter and listen to kids play rock beats way out of time on drum sets all day. He was like, no man, just, you know, teach, teach private lessons. So, um, that's what I did for 2013. I moved down to Texas and I taught private lessons at uh, Ellis's cluster in Denton, uh, the Denton ISD. So I worked at two different middle schools in the high school. I had about 45 lesson students. And then I worked at uh, McKinney Boyd High School out in McKinney, Texas. It's a little bit east of Denton. And that's where I started um, arranging for, for that group and also working with their, their fall marching band. Um, and then, you know, kept teaching Boston during the summers and then kind of the, the biggest recent change in my life was when a friend of mine, Roger Marquis asked, he was a, a visual instructor at Boston Crusaders. And he asked me if I would be interested in working with an indoor, indoor group. And I was like, yeah, man, which group? And he was like, Monarch Independent. And I'd never heard of them before. He was like, yeah, we're an open class group. We're based out of Houston. So, you know, you'd have to drive down from Denton on, on the weekends, but, you know, it would be really cool. And so I think it was 2016. So like fall of 2015, uh, WGI 2016 season was my first season with Monarch. And that's where I met some of my favorite people on planet Earth and a lot of my working partners right now. Um, Taha Ahmed, a great friend of mine. He runs the battery at Monarch. Brian Harmson, who I mentioned earlier, got me in on the virtual pro uh, project. He was writing the front and the electronics at the time. Ben Piles uh, is, was writing the battery beats. That's my, my boss, if you want to call him that, the uh, percussion caption head at the Mandarins. So that's where I, I met a, a lot of the people that I, that I work with in a lot of different projects right now. People that I, I love spending time with, I love being creative with, I love teaching with, and um, so 2017, we ended up going to world-class and that was kind of my first year being in charge of the pit. So I drove down from Denton four hours, one way every weekend, um, just, you know, pouring my heart and soul into this baby, trying to get it off the ground. It's like, all right, if we're going to be in world-class, we got, we got to make it happen. And so, you know, I would spend hours during the week, lesson planning, doing score studying, listening to MP3s that Brian had put together for us. And and just, you know, working so hard to, to get that thing off the ground. And we were fortunate enough to come in seventh place in world class our first year out, um, which was huge. And I, we were all really shocked. So, you know, you get you get to finals night and they announce that score and that number and just kind of looking around at each other like, oh, my goodness, like, we, you know, we can do this. Like, we're 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 good enough at this. We work together well enough to, to make this thing happen at, at this kind of level. And. So I've been with Monarch ever since. That's like my, you know, my baby. I love that. Love that group. I love that organization. And eventually the driving got to be too much. So that's when I moved down to, to Houston, um, where they're based out of. And I've been down here for 
for two years working at Tomball High School, who has a Scholastic Concert World Group. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. That was my first time working with a, a concert group. And um, for the last two seasons, I've been doing the, the front ensemble arranging at Monarch as well, which is, which is really rad. And I did Boston all the way through that whole time. This is going to be my first year working at the Mandarin. So I spent, ended up spending nine years at the Boston Crusaders. And that's kind of from, from day one to now. <laughs> that's such a long, you said nine years with Boston? Yeah, 2012 through 2019. So it was, um, I guess, six years with Ellis. And then um, Colin McNutt and Ian Moyer came over from the cadets. And I spent three seasons working with them as well. That's sweet. That's super cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously things just kind of like fell together for you that you were capable of doing this. It seems like you did like a lot of, I wouldn't say networking, but you are like really well connected. Um, what what was like a key to that that part of your success? Like, how did you go about making sure that you were, that you are so well connected, I guess? I, I think that it, I realized pretty early that this is this whole activity is just made of a made up of a bunch of people and without the people everything would go away so if you're if you're good people and you, you know you work hard you do your job you're friendly to everybody else if someone you know someone asks for help you help them regardless of if they're on your team or somebody else's you know it's like we're all we're all the same team you know regardless of if somebody's a blue devil and I'm a cavalier or you're a you're in the phantom regiment or I teach the Boston crusaders it's like you know somebody walks by and they're like, Hey, we just cracked a China. Like, can, you know, our, our, our wheel fell off of our gong cart. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Good. Like we're just warming up. We don't need a gong in a lot. Like take, take our gong, leave it at the gate. We'll pick it up. Like, you know, everything's going to be fine. So I think just, you know, being personable and, and helping out as many people as you can is, is the key to that. And, you know, I mean, people remember a friendly face. They're like, Oh yeah, that guy helped us out. He's, he's good people. And, um, I think that's how most of the opportunities for me came, came to fruition is just being, being a good guy to other people. Ryan, do you have anything? Um, you know, I'm just, just thinking, and you know, I can't agree more because Andy and I have kind of similar backgrounds. You know, he, he's, um, I kind of dipped in and out a little bit of the activity and he's kind of been steadfast through it. But, you know, I have to agree that, if this is a living that you're trying to do, you know, helping as many people as you can and staying in, in touch with them. Cause uh, you know, you never know who's going to help you out on the next thing or get you the next thing or be on a thing that you didn't know you were going to be on something like that. You know, like you hook up with one person and they lead you to three other people. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's, it's one big community that is also tiny at the same time. So everybody knows everybody. And if you're, if you're a cool dude, then that's going to get around. And if you're not, then that's also going to get around. Um, mm -hmm. if, if you work hard and, and do a good job at doing your job, then people are going to talk about that and be like, Oh, you know, Ryan, and Ryan's great. Yeah. We do. You definitely want to hire him. I worked with him on X project and you know, he was always there on time. He was always prepared. The kids sounded great. They had fun. Like, you know, pe people notice that those kinds of things, um, in in our activity we spend we spend time apart but then at the end of the day we always all come back together so it's kind of like okay what what work did this person do today at the end of the day when you're in drum corps ensemble 
the color guard staff is looking at the pit being like, you know, do they suck or don't they suck? You know, what kind of, what kind of a teacher is Andy? Um, so it, you know, if you, if you're just diligent and, and a good guy, then good, good things will happen. So what would you say, um, doing, doing this as a living, what would you say some of your biggest struggles have been? Um, for me personally, um, I think just coming away with enough things like, like putting together the hodgepodge that is a career at, at this and making like cash flow work for an entire calendar year. Um, cause obviously our, 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 there's cycles to our season. So it's like, okay, well, I, I need to make enough money doing drum corps to pay bills during the summer and then enough money during uh, marching band to pay bills during the fall and enough money during indoor season to pay bills during the spring and then repeat. Um, so obviously drum corps is not the most lucrative thing to do with your existence <laughs> in the world. Um, most drum corps are not paying, you know, three grand a month for you to go on tour for four months. So um, just being smart about making enough money at the scholastic groups during the fall and the indoor seasons. Um, Cause it's exciting to teach independent groups and that, you know, that's something that a lot of us aspire to do, you know, to, to work at Boston for that many years or, and, and to spend that much time at Monarch is great, but they're also not paying me a ton of money. So um, to, to be diligent and consistent with my lesson program and work really hard at the marching bands and the school indoor groups that I work for to allow me the opportunity to teach it and write for those other groups. It was, it was probably the tough thing because you end up kind of burning the candle at both ends, you know, where I teach 50 lessons Monday through Friday. And then as soon as my last lesson on Friday is done, I drive four hours down to Houston, teach Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, drive back up Sunday night and then repeat. So for a while, while I was kind of piecing all of it together, it's, it's just a lot of work. And that was probably the, the hardest thing to manage is just keeping, keeping myself busy enough at the, the lucrative jobs to allow me the, the freedom to do the, the jobs that aren't going to pay as much. That's cool. Ryan, do you, do you have something? Um, no, go ahead, Rob. All right, cool. Uh, so Andy, you, um, Obviously, you mentioned like the Cavaliers were super cool to you, and it seems like your, like you said, just like your work at being a really cool person, like helped you just like work your way in through it and into this career. Um, did anybody lay out for you like an idea of goals that you're like, I want to follow this type of a career path, or you're like, he's got it figured out. I want to do exactly what he's doing. Do you have any influences here? Um, I don't think as as like verbatim as I want to be like this guy when I grew up but I, I found aspects of people's lives that I really enjoyed um, and recently something that I've found that I really like doing and um, that a lot of my close friends do for a living is arranging and, and composing more full-time um, so I'm actually my, my plan moving forward is not to take on a huge private lesson load. Um, I'm going to try and do zero private lessons this upcoming school year. If the main private lesson teachers at my school have overflow and there's, you know, three or four, five kids, however many don't have a teacher and need one, 
then absolutely I'm gonna help those kids out. Um, but it's not something that I'm banking on making my money doing. Um, I'm arranging for seven different like projects between virtual and the and the fall marching. And so the, that's kind of my, gonna be my main source of income coming forward is writing for fall marching bands, writing for indoor groups, um, for the mandarins and for monarch and make that my main source of income which will allow me a little bit more freedom after having spent the last you know five or six years doing that schedule that i talked to you guys before where it's just non-stop you know you don't really have any time off um so i've, I've been working really hard through throughout um you know this pandemic just writing marching band music every day um trying to trying to make sure that I'm getting better at that, you know, writing faster, faster, being better at the, at the software, putting out good products quickly in an organized fashion, you know, making good MP3s for all my clients um, and just kind of putting the same energy that I put into learning how to be a great teacher at learning how to be a great arranger and engraver for, for these projects. So I, I think that, that those, but, you know, the, the people that I know who get to do that for a living kind of inspired me to, to go down the path that I'm on currently. Um, and, you know, Alan Miller's a, a great example of that. You know, the, the arranger for the Cavaliers my last year there. Um, Rob Ferguson, who taught me at Matrix and Glassman, is a good example of that. And then Brian Harmson, my main, um, main man working partner who owns Biz Audio Designs, is, is a, you know, definitely somebody who's helped me through that transition as well. Cool. And you said that you're always working to make yourself like a better arranger, better composer. What is your learning process for that? How do you look back and you're like, okay, this has to change. Um, what are some things that you know for sure that you could tell our audience members that you have improved on or like things that you feel have helped you grow? I think that I've just come up with um, like different ways to, uh, to attack a situation. So I know for a long time when I was getting started, it was like, as a marimba player, I was like, okay, I'm going to write this marimba part and then I'll figure out how to make vibes go with that or I'll figure out how to make the synth go with that or the drum set go with that. And I feel like after having, you know, standing back and teaching a pit for so long and, and now writing more stuff for front ensembles, I've started to learn that the marimbas don't always need to be the most important thing. They don't even always have to play either. You know, sometimes it can be a vibraphone solo. And so um, I used to get stuck writing a lot where if I didn't know what to do with the marimbas, then I was kind of screwed. And now it's like, okay, if I don't know what to write for a marimba, then, you know, let me go write this bell part real quick. Or, oh, I know I really want a vibra slap sound on the downbeat of measure 13. Let me put that in first and just kind of see what happens from there. So um, just not being idle at the keyboard. There's always a sound and, there somewhere that needs to be there and the sooner you can start putting those things in the easier it is to to kind of work around that and I don't I don't write linearly as much as I used to I used to write measure one to the end and now it's like well if I'm stuck on letter g let me go ahead to letter h and see what that's about or maybe I know how I want to get into letter h but I don't know how to start letter g so I'll write the last two bars of letter g getting into letter h and kind of work my way back through the phrase um that's been helpful just it, trying like i said earlier just trying not to be idle like there's always a, an idea in there somewhere um and if i put something down that might spark the next idea and then that's how i kind of get on a roll from there 
do you ever catch yourself because i started doing this recently um do you ever catch yourself like falling into writing patterns and then going all right i want to try something different to not to not feel like i'm always in that pattern yeah absolutely um sometimes sometimes getting myself out of that is as simple as just getting on an instrument and and i'd be like okay well if i want it to be on these you know this chord but this is the pattern that i always use because it always feels good in my hands like what if i invert the chord and play the pattern how do the notes sound different and then maybe i go back to the, the first inversion and play that cycle of notes which will then get me into a different sticking um like that that's one way that i've gotten out of that and but i mean sometimes if something sounds good and it's what it needs then <laughs> then just put it in there um and i I think that's something else. Every everything doesn't have to be the biggest, most exciting thing ever. Sometimes we're a complementary section to the ensemble, to the marching band. So I don't have to try and cram as many notes or write the coolest permutation ever all the time. Um, sometimes a simple ostinato that just kind of keeps momentum underneath the rest of the music ensemble is what should be there. Um, and that's definitely something that I've I've been able to kind of check my ego over the last couple of years. And it's like you know. The music I, I'm writing is not necessarily the most important thing all the time. Um, so I don't need to write like that. Yeah, that's a great answer. That's a great perspective on that. Which, go ahead, Ryan. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's all good. Um, so you talked about, um, you know, transitioning from doing the full-time teaching to doing a little bit more of the design writing, you know, and I went through that transition um, a couple of years ago when you finally realized like there's only seven days in a week yeah. and I don't, I don't know what Texas is like, but bands up in Ohio, like wherever you're at, it seems like every band rehearses at the same time and uh, cloning is not a thing yet. <laughs> so, so, you know, I definitely found that there was more freedom in the writing thing, but there were definitely the struggles too of just getting yourself out there. What, what are, what are some of the struggles as you're making that transition that you've been, running into or some of the upsides that you've been running into through this transition? Yeah, I think one, one thing that I'm really fortunate in is that I was able to kind of create a, a large enough workflow before I made the decision to not teach lessons anymore, um, that I knew that I was going to have enough clients and be financially secure instead of just like pulling the ripcord and hoping for the best. Um, <laughs> And one of my really good friends, Luke Zamprelli, um, is somebody that's helped me um, gain access to a lot of clients. He's a, a working partner of mine that is the visual caption head at both the Blue Stars and at Monarch Independent. And he does program coordinating for a lot of different marching bands in Texas. And he's been a, a really big advocate of mine. He's heard my music both at Tomball and at at Monarch and and he really enjoys the way that I write and, and the style that I that I bring to the table and wants to help me do more of it so um, he was kind of a big advocate of mine in helping me get access to as many clients as I have for this fall um, and I, I you know I don't know that without that relationship and, and me and Luke have known each other for a long time I, I mean we taught Boston together back in 2013 so um, and then we kind of ran back into each other at, at monarch and you know have decided decided to start working together on these projects and there's a window ranger that he primarily works with as well so i think over over the course of the next several years uh, between the window ranger alex thody 
um, Luke, the program coordinator and drill designer, myself doing front ensemble and electronics, and then Taha Ahmed, um, my great friend who I work with at Monarch, um, designs battery stuff. So between the four of us, I, I think that it's a, it's a product that the four of us can bring to the table pretty consistently and start to kind of spread our clientele base. That's awesome. How, in, how important has it been hooking up with those guys that, you know, have areas of expertise that, you know, can complement almost to the point where you like are a company. Yeah. And, and that's, what's incredible. And in any one project, one of the four of us might take the lead on it. If, if Luke has a really great visual idea, then, you know, he'll tell us what he wants it to look like. And then we write music to support that or, Maybe Alex has a really great idea for this like trombone solely. And so he'll, t he'll write that down first. Or if we know that th there's a battery feature, then maybe Taha will go first. So it, I think not doing all the wind music gets written, all the battery music gets written, all the front ensemble music gets written, then the electronic design and then the drill. Like by, by not making the, the process the same in the hierarchy the, the whole time, we end up with more creative shows that way. And just more variety in the way that we're able to create effects throughout the, the timeline of the show. So um, by not having to always wear the exact same hat all the time, you know, maybe I drive the bus for these 16 bars, but then I'm, you know, hanging out in the sidecar for the, for the 16 after that. Um, it, it makes, makes the, the process a lot easier. So I'm, I'm really lucky and grateful to be able to work with people like that where we can truly be collaborative. Yeah, it's definitely a cool, cool thing to think about. Cause I know like when, when, uh, I was marching, I feel like it was very obvious when, uh, you know, the, it was always like the wind arrangement first and then this, then the battery and then always pick goes last or whatever. Um, I think that innovation just kind of allows to feature different groups without it being so kind of like cookie cutter. Does that mean it's not just like, and pit break drumline break and uh it, it seems like shows that were designed with that sort of um teamwork and brainstorming like that kind of have a lot better of a flow and they're just like a lot more organic um appearing i think what, yeah absolutely um so you've been doing this forever like this is this has been your thing which is uh that's cool has there been a time where you thought it wasn't your thing where you would you like do you ever have a burnout year do you have a sure. moment, moment of doubts? Or yeah. I, I think it was the summer of, it was the summer at the end of 2016. So I had been doing, I've been living in Texas for three years. I had been um, grinding out, you know, indoor drum corps, marching band lessons during the week, like just nonstop. I hadn't had, you know, more than a week off in a row for the last like three or four years. And I was like, what if I just, go to, I don't know, like uh, an opportunity that presented itself to me was what if I went to Seattle and farmed salmon, like worked on a salmon farm. And it was like, you know, that would be rad. You just not have to worry about loading xylophones into a truck anymore. Um, and just, you know, totally get out of it. And that was, that was right at the time. It was after my first year of working with Monarch. And near the end of, of drum corps when I was thinking about maybe getting out of it. Um, they, the uh, executive director, Kyle Wynn from Monarch and the battery coordinator, Taha Ahmed, both called me separately 
saying that Monarch was planning on going to world class and um, that they wanted me. I was just kind of like a front ensemble tech my first year in 2016 and that they wanted me to be the, the coordinator and, and really, you know, help help bring the Monarch pit to that world class level and, and let me steer the ship. And so I, I, had to, I definitely had to think about it long and hard to know if because those are kind of two opposite things. Either I'm getting in a little bit further into this train that I've been riding or I'm going to jump off completely. So I, um, after, after thinking about it, I realized that all of my best friends do this. All the people that I love and care about do this thing that I do right now. Um, and that it was the, the people that it was worth sticking around for. Um, whether or not I was burnt out by how many hours I was working, it was like, maybe I, you know, I just need to be smarter about planning myself about, you know, saying no to things instead of always saying like, yeah, I can be there. I'll help out at this extra rehearsal that I totally am not going to get paid for and don't need to be at, but yeah, I'll help you out. And and I think just knowing when to kind of check those things, like, no, I've, you know, I've got this thing that I got to write tonight. I'm sorry. I can't help you out with that. Maybe send me a video and an email and I can type out some responses later. Like, something that I can still be helpful, but maybe it'll take 15 minutes instead of being at a rehearsal for three hours. Um, so, uh, and Kyle and Taha are two of my favorite people on planet earth. So to, when they called me and asked me to do that, I was like, yeah, I want to keep working with you guys. Um, and just continuing to build relationships with people and being smarter about my scheduling has helped me avoid burnout and continue to be excited season after season after season. Um, for the last three years and hopefully for many more to come since since 2016. I'm going to ask you a yes or no question, but maybe you can expand on it a little bit. Um, have been being able to like gel with the people you work with, like you speak so highly of everybody around you. Um, and a lot of that's just like your awesome character. But uh, really also you've landed some pretty cool coworkers. Has that been fundamental to your success and your uh, longevity in this career? 100%. Like, absolutely. I, I can't imagine doing a career that's as, at, at least when I'm being creative, it, it feels vulnerable, you know, to like put music that I think is rad out into the world. And it's like, oh, I hope the 20 people who are playing this are going to like it. And I hope the couple thousand people that listen to it are going to like it. And to know that I have colleagues and, and people rooting for me on either side of me, um, in the, in all the organizations that I work with, that support makes it a lot more relaxing to just do what I do. And I'm not always second guessing myself. Um, and yeah, I mean, without, without the people that I work with right now, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. You'd be salmon farming. I, I think that would be it, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. You're it's good for you, man, that you landed, landed, uh, landed such surroundings. Uh, Ryan, do you have anything? Yeah, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, on the arranging side and the design side, can you talk a little bit about, like, the first time you got to experience your, your music played by, like, a world-class group or a drum corps or, you know, something that wasn't just your students playing that music? Sure. Um, all of the stuff that I've written for world class is also a group that I teach for. Um, 
So I haven't had the opportunity to just like write something and not be around it and then get to hear it played, which I'm sure is, is a, a bit of a different feeling. Um, it, it started actually in 2011 when I was still marching, we got to play a, a front ensemble tune that I arranged. That was the first time a world-class group played something that I had written. Um, and Alan Miller helped me out with it a little bit. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for that. It probably wouldn't have sounded nearly as cool if he hadn't tweaked it a little bit before we, we learned it that summer. Um, but then I, I think lot tunes was where the, you know, that was really kind of the first thing we did that at Cavaliers. And then I brought that over with me to uh, the Boston Crusaders. And um, I think the first thing that they played that I arranged was Primavera, which is like a, a piano piece by Ludovici and Adi. And so I, you know, arranged and orchestrated that for the full pit. And I think the the coolest part was when we were at a show, I forget where exactly. Um, and they're playing through it. And, you know, I've heard it a thousand times. I taught it to them. I worked on it to arrange it, but people walking by, which who normally just walk past a pit to just go into the stadium to watch drum corps shows as they were playing it stopped to watch and listen and then clapped and they were done and then went into the stadium. And, to me, it was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, we don't need to just play scales to warm up. Like, you know, we can play music to warm up too. And and so that's something that I've always tried to do wherever I'm at. You know, Monarch has a, a series of, of lot etudes that we do each year. This past year, there were two of them. We did a Shostakovich string quartet arrangement that I did and a compilation of some Hans Zimmer um, melodies and themes from different movies that he's that he's done i think um both of those are recorded and up on our youtube channel as well as on i think pearl um adams sent those videos out on their social media so they're out and about if you want to track them down but yeah it, it i remember i'll never forget like that moment of people clapping after something that i had written that somebody else had played it was like you know i could have just been a guy they had no clue that it was me and and they enjoyed it because it was the music and and i mean that that feeling is why i continue to get up and, and arrange and compose and write every day yeah i think that that's huge just hearing the first time like your music gets played somewhere and you're like oh they're clapping it was good <laughs> good yeah 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 because i remember like last year was my first year arranging for south wind and seeing that and being able to experience that i was like oh Okay, good. It's just, it, I, like they're receiving it well, and it's not just high school marching band. <laughs> yeah, it's not just a polite clap. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. They dig it. Yeah, it's exciting. Was there so? Was there a year that you had, um, or a show that you arranged or composed or wrote that was your favorite? Sticks out as being real memorable. This this past year at Monarch is definitely my favorite thing that I've ever written, and it, it was a huge bummer when. WGI got canceled because I was I was really proud of the, the way that it was written and also the way that the members were playing it. It was the strongest pit we had ever had. It was stacked, you know, to the to the point where every single keyboard player was just nails on on the whole program. There are soloist instruments, the drum set, the xylophone, the the synths, the electric bass were all just nails. And it was in the middle of March. So if it was that that cohesive and that sounding that great at that time, you know, with four more weeks to, to really dial it in and get the consistently consistency level up. Cause that's really it. Once you have 
once you have the ability to play each phrase in the show the way that it's supposed to be played with all the right notes all the right rhythms all the right the, the phrasing and the sound quality and the blend and balance is just it's about can you do it 10 times in a row can you do it 20 times in a row so by mid-march i had heard every single note that i had written every single phrase that i had written played exactly the way it was supposed to be played like and so it was just going to be getting the consistency level up the rest of the year which is the sweet spot if you're going to try and be one of the top independent world uh, you know winter percussion groups on planet earth that's the that's where you need to be at that point in the year and so for us to be there for the first time was really really exciting and we were fortunate enough to get one last weekend together and get some really good recordings of like i was saying the law tunes and there's a multi-cam recording of our of our production uh, on the internet floating around somewhere. Um, so it, it's, it's up and around. And, and I know that a lot of groups did, were not that lucky where, you know, WGI gets canceled and then that's, that's it. Um, we were doing a spring break camp that week. So we were already all together rehearsing Monday through Friday that whole week. So when it got canceled on Wednesday, it was like, okay, let's, you know, let's get our recordings. Let's tie a bow on this thing. Um, and it, it, it felt a little, even a little bit more special to be able to do that. Our show this past year was called Flickr. Um, so for, for the season to end in a Flickr, like just boom, it's, it's over. Felt like kind of what we had been playing and working on all year anyways. Um, so it, it, it was a really cool experience. I'm bummed we didn't get to share it with more people live and really see how, how far we could, could have pushed it. But for it to sound as good as it did at that point in the season was, was really exciting. So definitely huge kudos to all the kids who, who played then. I say kids, they're musicians and performers, they're pros. Um, so kudos to them and the, and the rest of the, the staff and the designers. It was a really fun project to work on. Yeah, to have the, to have the group at that level, you must have known that you like nailed your arrangement, uh, the difficulty level and, you know, how it fit into the rest of the show. Uh, so, and yeah, you're here. You are just giving the credit away to all, all of the students, but <laughs> yeah, man, that's fantastic. Was there ever, what has been your favorite group? Uh, and you, you know, obviously as teachers and performers, we love a lot of years of our involvement, but has there been a favorite group or year, uh, that you either marched or taught? Oh, um, and why, what made that so special? I think, I mean, 2011, 11 Cavaliers for me, marching is, is my favorite year of marching. Um, as a, as a member of a pit or a staff member of a pit, it's really easy for people to get on each other's nerves at some point because you're always standing next to the same people and you're always just standing and rehearsing music. There's not a lot of variety to your day during drum corps or indoor it's it's there's a lot of sameness to it um so that that monotony starts to weigh on everybody and it's really easy for people to start to snap at each other when they're loading the truck or well you know x isn't playing all the right notes in this phrase why are you talking to me about it or you didn't hear them enter in early why are you telling me that I, you know and so it 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 inevitably happens like there's always beef somewhere and some years it's huge and some years it's really small that is one of the only times where I've been in a group or taught a group where there wasn't any, where we were just, we were just homies the whole time. And we woke up every day hungry to try and get better as a team. 
and it was never about the individual. It was always just like the Cavaliers pit. And that was what we were. And, and that's something that I aspire to do with all of the, the projects that I do. It's not Andy, the front ensemble arranger, it's Monarch design team. It's, and, and I try and impress upon the, the members of the groups that I teach that it's not personal all the time. And it's going to feel like it sometimes, but it's, it's not. It's about the group and making sure that we're always doing our part to help everybody else be successful um, in addition to ourselves. And so I, I think that, that for that reason, that's probably my, my favorite season. There's been parts of other shows that I like playing more, um, you know, certain stats that, you know, maybe one of my really good friends is on. But as far as like a whole collective season, we just really gelled that year and, and everybody got it. We were always on the same page. It was really rad. That's cool. As a staff member, like as a pit tech, how big of a role do you think you play in keeping the front ensemble in a good gel? Like as a staff member, do you have it, control over that? Yeah, ab absolutely. It's huge. I, I mean, to, to be able to read when the group is, is hitting a brick wall and, and it's like, we've been doing this check exercise exactly the same way three days in a row and they're starting to get sick of it. So the part's starting to get worse. And it's like, I got to know to either start working on this part slightly differently or use the same tools, but maybe like, okay, well, half of the pit do this and the other half come out front and now you guys critique and, and just creating fre a fresh environment and, a, and keeping the ideas fluid and, and keeping them thinking. It's, it's, a, it's easy to always tell them, don't do this, do this. Think about this, don't think about that. Um, it's a little bit harder to ask questions and put them in an environment whether it's with an exercise or in a different setup or, or what have you to allow them to be creative and critical thinkers on their own. So I think the, the more opportunities you give your students of, of whatever level, world-class drum corps, world-class indoor, or I, I, you know, those are types of things that I'll do with my high school groups as well. Um, just putting, putting them in situations where they have to be intelligent problem solvers and force themselves to be critical thinkers. Um, you, you you avoid some of those more high tension moments because their their energy and their focus is on something else. Um, as soon as they don't have to think about what they're doing, that's when they can start evaluating everybody else and start to get catty about things. Do you do you ever find yourself kind of planning for for those kinds of things or planning to change things up? So, like an example is um, when I taught classmen in 2012 during like the, once you get so far into movements we all know what the grind is like and whatnot but we ended up alternating like days that we would we call them physical days and mental days sure and some days were more physically taxing and some days were more you know we're gonna put timing variations over top of everything and make them play different rhythms and combine exercises and that kind of stuff is that something you usually plan for or something you try to do on the fly or a little bit of both I think there, there has to be a, a homogenation, like, or I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. Like you, you have to homogenize those two things, right? You, you have to be prepared. You have to plan for, for what's going to happen and having, a, having an idea of knowing you want to mix up these different sets of skills for your students. But then at the same time, like you need to be a, a good, like, like, like a football head coach. You know, you game plan all week 
but then at halftime you have to make adjustments and so you plan for your rehearsals but then on a water break maybe you're like well this isn't quite going how i imagined it maybe we maybe we tweak my afternoon plan a little bit and you make a halftime adjustment in in the middle of a block um so i i definitely don't recommend flying by the seat of your pants and not being prepared for rehearsal but i also think it's equally important to not like put out such a detailed rehearsal that you just do that no matter what um because we're we're all humans and sometimes either it's i came up with a bad plan or my plan that i came up with isn't going to work with these people and where they're at right now um so to be able to make adjustments in real time i think is crucial um so yeah i, I think it i think it's definitely a, a little bit of both there and like you were saying breaking it up to being a mental day versus a physical day is huge. I know I like to focus on like general skill sets quite a lot. Um, so it's like, okay, this block is gonna be all about balance. This block is gonna be all about um, consistent, like mathematically accurate rhythms. This block is gonna be all about tempo control or, you know, breaking those things up like like different skills throughout the throughout the block or throughout the day, I think is a, is a crucial thing to, help get everybody on the same page as, as members of a pit, you know? So that way Johnny Joe's not thinking about his index finger when Sally Sue is only worried about note accuracy. And then Billy Green is only listening to the Met and ignoring everybody else by having a, by having a, a general concept, like our goal of the pit is to play great tempo right now. And then everybody's on the same page and you can talk to them and reflect about it and know everybody's going to be engaged. Um, I think that that's a really important thing to do, especially with how many different instruments we have. It's really easy to kind of bury ourselves in just the marimbas or bury ourselves in just the drum set. So by when the whole pit is together, by talking about some of those macro concepts, it's a really good way to kind of pull everybody together and get on the same page. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, especially for young, younger instructors. Like you got to get your head out of, typically the marimbas because they're right in front of you. They're the center of the ensemble. Cause if you, if you can't get your head out of the marimbas, you're, you're going to step back. And I know I've experienced this where the synth players like not playing what's on the page at all, you know, sure. they find out they can't read bass clef in the ensemble. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You gotta, you, you always have to be aware of the, the whole group, you know, and if, if you're lucky enough to have enough people to split up into subsectionals, that's great. Um, but I know a lot of times that's not something that's available to a lot of people. So being able to be aware of all the members and the different roles of the pit is, is something that's incredibly crucial to being successful as a, as a pit instructor. Yeah. Ryan, do you have anything else? I, I think I'm good. I've, uh, I've definitely opened my eyes to a couple of things talking to you, Andy, and it's been great to hear from you and, uh everything else that's been going on in your life man yeah it's great to see both of you yeah you as well man you as well hey i got a question though is uh what else do you do other than front ensemble do you have any hobbies things <laughs> that you like like what do you do to distract yourself from band i um i play disc golf quite a quite a bit um so i'll go i'll go two or three times a week i, I love it it's good to get outside get fresh air walk around and throw frisbees at trees accidentally I'm never trying to, but it always seems to happen, you know. <laughs> always. Have you uh, lost any discs recently? Uh, when I spent 10 weeks uh, visiting my brother up in Denton during the beginning of this whole pandemic thing, and I lost one in a lake, I just threw it right in there. 
no bueno. <laughs> but yeah, I do that, and and then I I listen to a lot of music. I like going to live performances, whether that's a, you know, like a band that I like to listen to, or a, or a musical, or um, when I was in Vegas most recently, I see search a search of so any type of live art uh, is awesome to me. So I try and do that as much as I can and then play disc golf, write band, hang out with friends. That's cool. Here's a, here's a question. What, what, uh, what's on your current playlist that you're listening to right now? Oh man. Um, the deer hunter is always on my playlist. That's a, a band that I, I love dearly. I, I like the arc of them. Um, and how much better they are now than when they started. Um, they put out, uh, when they write an album, they're, they're written in acts. So like act one is an album and it's a straight through composed piece of music, uh, you know, a, a work of art. And same thing with act two, act three, act four, act five. Um, so that that's one of the, the groups that I'm always listening to and wanting to do arrangements of their songs. And uh, I would say Krungbin is another group that I listen to a lot. They're from, from Houston. A good friend of mine, Andre Edwards, uh, hooked me up with them. That's cool. Hey, so is the Deer Hunter? That's like that prog rock band, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I love that band. I've seen, I saw them live when they opened up for like Coheed and Cambria several, several years ago. Now, yeah. Isn't there, isn't there like a pop group called Deer Hunter also? Or yes, it, yeah. There and there's a and there's a movie called Deer Hunter. I think they're they are the Deer Hunter. Um, how confusing. How is yeah, like, I know, right? Like a lot of them happened to that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they're they're great. They did a, uh, a a tour recently. I saw them this past uh, fall with my brother in Austin, where they did uh, like an acoustic set of kind of like a stripped down version of a lot of their songs with an interactive Q and A with the audience in between all of the, those. That's and then there was a, a brief intermission, and then they came out and did another set of like the full band playing full out the way that they they do on all the albums. So it was, it was a really rad concert. And I mean, it was like three hours of them just playing awesome music at me. How sweet for real. Yeah. How cool. How cool. Well, hey, uh, as always, thanks. Um, thanks to our audience members for t tuning in here to Frontier. Thanks so much, Andy Filipiak, for being with us today and uh, answering all of our silly and astute questions. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. Huge blast. Um, Ryan, do you have anything for our, for our audience? Um, do you have any parting words you want to leave them with Andy? Somebody, you know, trying to come up on the, the drum gypsy drum instructor side, any parting words for them? Don't be afraid to work hard and be a good dude, be a good human being to all the other human beings out there. I think if you do those two things, you're good to go. Awesome, cool, man. Yeah, cool. All right. Hey, uh, that's it for this time. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time uh, on the frontier. frontier.